Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Amy Stanton has always been the driver type, the type of person that's always been an overachiever, whether it was her role as the head of marketing and communications for NYC 2012, which was New York's Olympic bid, or as the chief marketing officer at Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, or even more recently as the founder and CEO of her PR agency, Stanton & Company, Amy has always been badass. But what she realized is how she's showed up in her professional career is also how she showed up in her personal life, which led her to dissect and uncover that balance between masculine and feminine energy. In this episode, we talk about themes from her TEDx talk and book, The Feminine Revolution, in which she challenges the idea that femininity is weak. And she encourages women to redefine and embrace their feminine qualities as a source of power. Historically, to compete in a man's world, women have had to exert more of their masculine energy like assertiveness and confidence. But what Amy advocates for is to not exchange a feminine trait for a masculine trait, but rather to use masculine traits to enhance your feminine traits. We dive deep into this topic and I'm so excited to share it. So let's jump straight in to the conversation. Amy Stanton, thank you for being here on Inside Out. Thank you for having me, Billy. Of course, I'll talk to you anytime. I love it. Well, we're going to get started with I want you to go back to your days in New York, and I want you to tell us why New York was such a formative time and place in your life. Well, first of all, I think I was always a bit type A for California. So being on the West Coast, which is where I'm from, everyone thought I was super intense. Then I moved to the East Coast, and everyone thinks I'm super laid back or from Connecticut unclear what that means. But ultimately, it really fueled my fire. It created this energy and intensity that I couldn't capture anywhere else. And it's still within me, honestly. I bet. And 
you know, having lived in New York for not as long as you, but for a short time, I am still influenced by just being there and the presence. And clearly it had an impact on you and an influence on you. And so for those that are just jumping on, we're going to be talking a lot about a variety of topics. I'm going to dig deep and go back into some of the history. You were a self-professed workaholic out of college. And I know you grinded, you worked so hard. And I know that your career as a result took off. I know one of the things that was formative in addition to being in New York is working on the Olympic bid for 2012. And on the topic that we're talking about right now, you had two people, two men, frankly, who you worked with during that time. Can you talk about what those two men meant to you? Yes. I've had so many different types of bosses over the course of my career. And when I first started, I had women who were, I thought, quite nitpicky or threatened or jealous or petty or the rest of it on and on. All the things that we hear women call other women. And then when I worked for New York's Olympic bid, I worked for these two guys, Dan and Jay. And Dan came from the hedge fund world finance and Jay came from the political world and media. He was the chief of staff for the Lindsay administration. And then he was number two at CBS. And they're both equally intense and at times would be very direct. And sometimes even how I, what I would describe as yellers. I never thought I could work for yellers, but honestly, there's something about it that I loved because they were always just telling it how it was. And I do not do well with beating around the bush It was just so nice to know exactly where someone stood. What ended up happening, because, and I know we're going to get to this, I'm a crier. There were definitely moments where I would be pushed to my edge. I was exhausted. I was working my ass off. I was sleep deprived. I felt like I was so in over my head in so many ways and just trying to keep it all together and act like I knew what I was doing, (laughs) which is, by the way, I think most of life. But there would definitely be moments where I would just burst into tears. And I think in the beginning, they were a little thrown by that because in their careers, they probably had never come across someone quite like me. And I had never come across anyone quite like them. And what was incredible, we had such deep respect for each other that it was actually workable. They accepted the fact that the reason I was crying was because I cared so much about my work mm-hmm. and the fact that I was so deep in it and I was so committed and dedicated that I was allowing myself to get <laughs> pushed to that edge. And I also knew the reason they were so intense about things was because they cared so much and that they were giving it their all. And that was our respective ways of expressing it. So there's something actually pretty amazing about when people just show up as they are and communicate at that level because you're seeing real stuff. And then you also learn to love the full person for who they are versus just wanting them to essentially operate the way that feels comfortable to you. Mm, I love that. And I want to go into this topic. I'm glad you brought it up. Being a crier, that was literally like my head's going exactly there. Obviously we picked this topic. So as somebody that's more in touch with being sensitive, you've learned to embrace that and accept it, I think. And I don't know if that's always been the case because let's face it, there is a, a stigma attached to crying. It's not okay to cry in the workplace. It's not okay to cry in public for that matter. So I'm curious, as you think about this stigma that exists with crying, how should someone respond? What would be the the right way? Let's take a workplace, for example. What is the way in which, because I think we got to remove the stigma and think about like, how should we 
think about our response to somebody, somebody crying. Well, I'm happy to give you my take on that because as you know, I wrote a whole book about how femininity and feminine qualities are not in fact the weaknesses that we perceive them to be. They are our superpowers. And for me, crying is at the top of the list. So we did a lot of research to really understand crying. There are actually physical benefits of crying, which you may know, but also ultimately, let's be honest, never in the history of time did someone wake up in the morning and say, I hope I burst into tears in my boss's office. Mm -hmm. Am I right? So what happened? It was a human moment. And by the way, being human is okay. So the issue is not the crying itself. It's as you said, it's how we receive the crying. So let's imagine a scenario where someone's getting a performance review. And this has literally happened to me where I didn't get the news that I was hoping for in terms of my raise. I get a little teary. I've again, been pushed to a limit. I've been working so hard. I just had given it my all and it apparently wasn't enough. Or that's my perception at the moment when I find out what my raise was. When I start to cry, the boss thinks, oh God, she's a disgruntled employee. This is now I have a whole problem to deal with. And I'm just so ashamed because I'm crying. So I run to the bathroom. Like that's a natural reaction. That's kind of the end of it. We don't really discuss it. It's not like we get anywhere with it. And we walk away from that experience. I'm not happy with my raise. I feel unappreciated. My boss feels like I'm disgruntled. It definitely negatively impacts us for the future. Not good. But imagine a scenario where instead of this, we have the tools to actually manage that situation in a productive and constructive way. So let's imagine that I say to my boss, look, the reason I'm getting emotional right now is because I care so much about this job. Mm. Or the reason I'm getting emotional right now is because I thought I was going to get a bigger raise today. What do I need to do in order to make that possible? Mm -hmm. And imagine a scenario where the boss says, wait, I see you're getting emotional. What can I do to help? And then either of those scenarios create an opportunity for us to have a real conversation and to get to understand each other even better and to connect meaningfully versus the opposite scenario where you end up being more disconnected. So if you use the crying as a moment for, again, connection and being real, Mm -hmm. suddenly that's a really powerful thing. And it actually can get us somewhere. We can move things forward and both people would understand each other even better than they started out. A hundred percent. I, I really appreciate what you've said, especially as we think about, we place our own assumptions on why somebody's crying, which could be completely misdirected or misguided. And then if we don't ask a question or use it as a connection point, it's a missed opportunity because it could be something that brings us closer together. It could help us as opposed to be a detractor. Uh, and I really appreciate your perspective on that. I think it's, it's so beautiful. And I, I hope that more people embrace what you've just shared Speaking of more people, you had the opportunity to work for Martha Stewart under the the Living Omni Media uh, umbrella, and you were the first chief marketing officer for her. One of the things you say is that you wish others would appreciate the fact that she's a visionary because now brands are doing everything that she's doing from a media perspective. They've all sort of followed that path. I'm curious what you would share about her working with her and understanding her and maybe you tie it back to the crying or not. I don't know. But I'm curious, what was that like? Because I'm sure that was a, a, something that you gained some insights from. Well, the way I would tie it, I gained a lot of insights, first of all. But the way I would tie it back to the crying is it's such a great example of how femininity is not one size fits all. We each 
have our own way of showing up and just defining femininity. And all of us are a balance of masculinity and femininity. That's a good thing too. It's really important to say those things because otherwise people have these, again, preconceptions of the concept of femininity. So when it comes to Martha, yes, I mean, I really do feel like her concept of omnimedia is was the first of its kind. And now if you look at every single company or brand, as you said, everyone functions that way. Everyone's using different channels to feed the different channels and sell products and leveraging content to sell products and leveraging products to sell content. And it's, it's so fascinating because again, I don't think she gets credit for her for that, but I do give it to her. Um, what inspired me most about her was her curiosity because Literally, if you spend time with her and watch the way she sees and, and embraces everything, she's it's almost like she's seeing everything for the first time mm. every time. And it's such a good reminder, like we all should take a moment and really look closely at things or read the labels and with awe, not just everything has a specialness to it. And she, I feel like she sees things that the rest of us don't. And so being around that a little bit contagious you know you find yourself suddenly curious about things you were never curious about before and and also reaping the benefits of curiosity so i really i cannot say enough about how much i loved working for her and learning from her and you know i think in terms of her management style she's super direct which i guess if we're bringing it back to the other conversation is coded more as a masculine quality but you know one traditionally feminine quality is being controlling and that's never been a positive thing when someone says you're being so controlling which is only said to women by the way it would never be in a positive way Mm -hmm. but if you actually look at being controlling it is a positive thing it's why we're great taskmasters and project managers and the fact that we can control the details is actually why we're so good at what we do. So I would say there are aspects of her that are feminine in her own way. And maybe she's not sensitive or a crier like I am, but I feel like she really shows up who as, as the person that she is unapologetically. And I have a lot of respect for that. How do you think she channels that curiosity? It's really interesting you brought that up because when we were talking about crying, it reminded me of a story. I had Liz Wiseman come to Tesla when I worked there and she told a super heartfelt story about her, her son. And I've never had this happen before, but I met her afterwards and I just started crying because I related so much to her talking about her son. And I, have, I only have one son and we tried to have a second and it didn't work. My wife got pregnant six times and none of them ended up working. So it's obviously a traumatic thing to go through. I was so touched by what she said because her children are older And it just made me think like my son's growing up and I'm tearing up even just thinking about it right now. But the reason I bring that up is, you know, when we, when we think about the fact that these people that we work with and the fact that she has this natural state of curiosity, Liz, that same person wrote a book called Rookie Smarts, which is a really interesting take on the power of being a rookie, of being unfamiliar with something because you, you look at it with a fresh perspective where you look at it with this wide eye and like anything's possible. You ask questions. So what do you think it was about her that made her so naturally curious? I think some people are wired that way. I think some people live in a state of constant awe and we can, we can develop that. We can develop that for ourselves. And honestly, even after having this conversation, I'm going to probably have a little bit of boost of curiosity coming in a good way because it sometimes it does require a reminder to your point. It's like, 
we can so easily get sucked into the day to day and we're doing the same things in certain respects. But really, every day is different and every day is new. I mean, I run a PR agency. Every day we have brand new challenges. Do they remind me of challenges that we've had in the past? Absolutely. But there's always nuance to it. And if I could approach those situations with curiosity instead of, I don't know, I was going to say aggravation, but that <laughs> they kind of could go hand in hand in this particular case. But it does change your framing around things, you know, being curious about people, being curious about the reasons people are motivated to do the things they do instead of judging them or having an opinion about like, oh, I don't it's not for me or I don't like the way that person handled that. What if you're instead curious about the behavior? One of my favorite Martha stories is she had never been to Costco before. And we flew out to the original Costco in Washington and walked the whole store. I mean, everything from the meats to everything. I mean, everything. We looked at everything oh, close. That's amazing. It was, it <laughs> I was can't so even imagine fun. that. <laughs> it was so fun. But I'm like, I mean, now if I go to Costco, I think of that, you know, and I think of how sure. what an experience it is. Because for so many of us, that's just like a, let's check this off the list. Let's go to Costco and get the basics, you know. But what if you went to Costco and you did it with these bright eyes and you're like, I wonder where this came from or I wonder why they packaged it this way or I wonder why I've never seen this before. You know, like wonder. Yeah. It's just such a cool way to live life. It really is. Yeah. What? A, wow. That's powerful. It's in that sense of wonderment and natural curiosity. I, and that's a huge takeaway for me. And I bet my curiosity is boosted as a result of this conversation. The other thing that you touched on just a moment ago, which I want to dive a bit deeper on is this balance that we have, right? We all have it. And by the way, this is a super important topic for me, having been on Clubhouse and starting to realize that the way I've spoken in the past has been almost aggressive and very enthusiastic. And I, I had to dial that back just a, a bit and, and really focus on tone and, and a lot of things that I think really tap into the feminine side of my energy. But I want to make this, this point really clear in that historically, let's face it, like the qualities, you know, nurturer, caregiver, mother, these are the things that are attached, they're coded, as you would say, to a feminine trait. And then maybe directness or assertiveness is more coded towards a masculine trait. What you say, and I, I really I really appreciate this, is that we shouldn't think of it, you need to exchange one for the other. You, you, ha you don't have one because you're giving up another, right? And so I wonder if you could speak to that, how we're not necessarily exchanging one, but on the other hand, or I shouldn't say on the other hand, but in fact, we're enhancing through these things. So I'd love for you to tap into that. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's such an important part of the conversation. It's really ultimately all about showing up in a fully authentic way, period. So the journey for me of writing this book, The Feminine Revolution, was all about feeling like maybe I wasn't showing up in a complete way because I had worked in this big corporate culture in New York where being sensitive and emotional and a crier, all of which I am, weren't super embraced, you know, at the end of the day, I felt like I had to build this armor. I had to toughen up. I had to become more direct and assertive in order to quote unquote thrive in a man's world. And so ultimately years later, I guess as of like five years ago is when I started thinking about this, I felt like something was off. You know, people perceived me to be this much tougher person than I actually am. And I went, wait, why is that? It's because 
I've been holding these parts of myself back. I was because either I was ashamed of them or I felt I was they weren't welcome. They had been kind of beaten out of me, you know, and ultimately I take full responsibility for it. But my perception was that these things were weaknesses because they had been communicated to me as weaknesses or they'd shown up as what I thought were weaknesses in my life and what it's all about the lens. So we all have parts of ourselves that we might be holding back or dialing back because we feel they're not welcome. I mean, I love that you just used the example you did. You felt like you needed to hold back some of your enthusiasm and energy in order to thrive in clubhouse in a more balanced way. By the way, I don't know if that's true. I mean, but I, I think that may or may not be true because you and I, I would love to have seen the before and after, which is a <laughs> follow up conversation about. But, but for I think in the end, we're never going to be our happiest, healthiest, best until we're showing up in a fully authentic way. So if there are these parts of us, and again, in my case, it was sensitivity or my, you know, lots of people would meet me and they would think I'm a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. They think I'm this like baller because of the way that I operate in the workplace, which by the way, I am, but they don't know that I'm mush inside, which Mm -hmm. is the real me. So ultimately I was wondering if I was bringing this kind of tougher, more assertive armored Amy into my dating relationships. And that's why I had not met Prince Charming. Mm. Of course, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, which is why I'm like, I've got to figure this out. You know, why is this happening? Why am I holding these parts of myself back? Why am I not showing people the full Amy? And I realized it was because I thought those parts weren't welcome. You know, I thought they were too much. I thought by fully showing myself Someone couldn't handle it, but that's why I needed a new lens on it to see that actually my sensitivity is what makes me my best. Mm. And the fact that I'm a crier is how people can see me and understand me and connect with me if I allow that. And my emotionality, sure. I mean, everything in check, but like it's one of the most beautiful parts of myself, but it took this work and people always say research is me search right? to actually do this exploration and this work and really start to figure out again, not for myself, but for everyone else, how is this showing up? And what was cool is the second I started talking to people, everybody had versions of it. Mm -hmm. So again, they might have different parts of themselves they're holding back, but everybody has things that they are trying to modify to accommodate the way they believe people want them to be. So what if we unlock that? What if we, unload ourselves from this sort of preconception and these these things we've been telling ourselves over the years and we just allow ourselves to show up. I mean, isn't this what the wisdom of experience is about? <laughs> mm. Yes. And at the same time, you're able to impart that wisdom on others, right? And so you've described it as you're, it's been squeezed out of you, right? And it, and, it, and I'm curious if you were to talk to either a younger Amy, because you talk about now the, the full Amy is present. You talk about, let's face it, you can't change the past, but you could talk to a younger version of you or somebody that is like you, that's super ambitious, super driven, super direct, who's got to do the career and do all these different things. What advice would you give them? Because clearly you've found this out in the last five years. So what advice would you give somebody who's maybe just getting out of college and who's as super ambitious, like you were out of college and working hard and feeling that same sense that they have to squeeze that part of them out? Well, first of all, what's cool is that things evolve over time. So whatever challenges people 
young women, for example, are facing in the workplace wouldn't be exactly the same as the ones I did because mm -hmm. the generation before me might have been the generation where things really weren't balanced or fair and they had to fight the good fight and wear the pantsuit, et cetera, in order to even be taken seriously. I feel really fortunate. I wasn't in that position. I never felt held back as a woman because I was a woman, except for these moments when I might be too sensitive or crier, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So whatever their challenges are different, I think it always the question is, are there parts of me that I'm holding back or I feel bad about? And let's look more closely at those. It doesn't mean we all have work to do. I'm still doing work. I'm sure you're still doing work. We're going to keep doing the work. But it's all about awareness and figuring out, like, are we throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Did we decide to, to say, you know what? I'm going to stop being sensitive because this isn't welcome here. That wasn't the right solution. Mm -hmm. If I had looked more closely at it, I probably could have understood that actually it wasn't about that. It was about looking at where my sensitivity was serving me and sure, not taking things personally in a way that was not productive. But like the real advice has to be to stop beating yourself up for everything all the time because that's just a waste of time and energy. So like, how do we solve the things? How do we look more closely? How do we better understand what the real issues are? How do we do the kind of constant study of ourselves in a way that we can show up as the best version of ourselves each day. And I always say, I'm the best I've ever been. Mm. <laughs> Which is, I think it's, we all are like each day we are more wise, totally and more experienced and more comfortable with ourselves. And that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you hundred uh, percent. We'll, we'll open it up for a few questions here in a minute for those here on clubhouse. So I see some hands raised and we'll do about 10 minutes of Q and a, uh, or maybe 15 minutes. I know that we have a hard stop at the hour. So I want to talk a little bit about your book and actually going back in time, your TED talk, right? In, in, in your book, you describe how stressed you were and how nervous you were for your TED talk. But, and also that you've learned a lot since then. And you didn't, you didn't know what you didn't know probably back then, what you know now, right? Cause you could only scratch the surface. So my question is, what have you learned since the TED talk in the space in which you spoke, right? Yes. I mean, it's so funny when I think back to that on every level, because I was really excited about the opportunity to do a talk at TEDx Venice. That seemed like a big deal. I wasn't nearly as comfortable with public speaking as I am now, because I think until you just do it a million times, you aren't. Totally. And the TED format is totally different because you actually have, first of all, they're looking at it through a lens where they want there to be some scientific proof of things, which a lot of the stuff I was expressing and thinking about was more emotionally driven and I could prove it through lots of interviews and conversations. And I mean, I've had plenty of evidence, but it wasn't, it wasn't a science talk by any stretch. So I sort of set up this contrast between feminine strength and femininity. Oh my God, Billy, it's embarrassing. What was it called? It wasn't strength and femininity. It was what was the title? Yeah, I can't even remember. But that's embarrassing. That just shows you how I've like I've held this down so much. But but essentially, it was a very simple concept of could you be this powerhouse and thrive? Did you have to make a choice between being that person and being a sensitive person? And I mean, it was so rudimentary, but it it was kind of the seed of the idea that led to the book. There was no doubt. There was that was like almost the beginning stage of research because I had done research around it. And 
you know, they pound you out, pound it out of you. Like you have a script and you rehearse it a million times and the rest of it, it was like 9 million degrees in the room while mm. I was doing this. I talk. saw people fanning and I was like, man, Everyone it must've been fanning. like, when was it? Man, she's on fire. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I was setting the room on fire. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a cool experience for sure. And I think it was fine. You know, it's just that I, I think now to what it's like when I speak and the reactions I get. And it's a lot more interactive. And I have ways of really engaging the audience and helping people think through their own scenarios. That format doesn't allow for that, of course. Um, so it's interesting because I think about it sometimes, like if I did another TEDx talk, it'd probably be on a totally different topic, by the way, but I would just, or an evolved version of it, you know, I've learned a lot. I mean, now again, I'm, I feel like I'm in the lab with it, mm-hmm. you know, myself and with everyone else, because whenever I'm having these conversations and helping people through it, the thing that's cool about this topic is that we all can do the work every day, not just for ourselves, but for everyone else. A big part of the conversation is how do you walk into the workplace and create space for your employees or your coworkers to show up as their authentic selves? Mm. What are you doing proactively to make that possible? What are or what are you doing unconsciously that's not making that possible? Right. You know, I mean, they're two sides of the same coin, but I think it's such an important conversation. And I really do. I think about it all the time. Like, obviously, it's easy for me. We have these 21 different qualities that we've talked about in the book, one of which is intuition. Here's it's a good example, because I think intuition is such an important feminine quality. Fine, but also tool for us in life. And so one of my team members who does a lot of the negotiation for us always comes into my office and she'll say that this is back when we were allowed to have offices and be together in them, which will return someday. She'd come in and she'd say, I don't know what to do. Where should I start with this particular negotiation? And I would say, what does your gut tell you? Mm-hmm. Nine out of 10 times, she would give me the same answer that I would have come up with myself. So it's like cultivating people's intuition and and building a habit around people tapping into their gut instinct and that's just again an easy thing for us to do for each other in a way that changes the way things work or what workplace feels like crying is a great example you know when people cry in my office of course they know it's totally fine they have a crying advocate at the helm crying encouraged right <laughs> yes but crying we yeah exactly the more crying the better let's do this team but like both the men and the women at my office have cried to me and i feel really good about it you know i mean not that i not i don't feel good about it when i'm the cause of the tears but i feel good that they feel comfortable being that right. vulnerable and so part of it is again reinforcing that. So like, I'm not going to act strangely about the crying because I don't feel strangely about the crying. I'm like, bring it on. Let's do this. Let's, let's work through whatever it is. You know, this gives us an opportunity to move something, move through something. Totally. So they're such simple things. It's cool. Like a lot of the guys I know that read the book felt like they were able to show up as better leaders for their female employees or if they ran a company in general for culture purposes, it was useful. And that, that made me really happy, of course, because that's at the end of the day, what's necessary here is a bigger shift, which creates a more balanced definition of power mm-hmm. period between feminine and masculine. And that leads to more balance at the top of the corporate world, more balance, at the top of the political world, more balance in life. 
which is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, look, you, in, you said that your TED Talk kind of laid the foundation for your book, and I totally see that because you even talk about like the 10 competencies of a modern leader, right? And when you broke it down, if you think about the feminine qualities, there's expressive, plans for the future, reasonable, loyal, flexible, patient, intuitive, collaborative. And then for masculine, there were two left over, decisive and resilient. And so, which is a really great way to highlight just how important these feminine qualities are. So my last question before we turn it over to the two people who are up on stage to ask a question is, why do we devalue these feminine qualities if they're so important? And how do we change that? Well, again, it's historical. You know, we, each one would have its own story about why it's been perceived as a weakness. Historically, there are plenty of anecdotes and historical references. And how do we change it? It's, I mean, we have to show up and do the work. So we have to show up in our own authentic ways and create space for those around us to do the same. And that is not something that happens intuitively. I think about how, you know, a lot of my story starts with how my mom used to call me sensitive from a young age. Don't be so sensitive, Amy, you know, and it was so innocent. It's not her fault. Like that was just, she was probably trying to help me in the end and didn't realize that the language plays ends up being a thread throughout my entire life, Mm -hmm. you know, because the same words I hear again, and it's just more negative reinforcement, whether that's at the office or whatever else. And so again, in hindsight, I can see all that, but, but like a lot of moms that I've talked to about this, they are like, Oh wow, I really should think differently about the way I'm talking to my daughters and my sons, you know, about everything. Because so many times we, again, it's such innocent intentions, but we've all been programmed Mm -hmm. a certain way. And so how do we unravel some of that in a way that allows us to create freedom for everybody to show up as they are, you know, and not feel like we're all trying to conform to something that may or may not even be what's best for us. And we, may not even realize we're doing it. And that's the thing. It's, it's just, it's an unconscious thing. We hear people say, don't cry, don't cry. It's coming from a good place. It's not, the intentions there are usually not bad intentions, but the outcome or the results are such that, you know, it's a negative. It's a, it's a net negative, especially, you know, you, you made a great point. Like, how has this affected you long-term? We have Jude. I do know Jude. Jude's amazing. She's interviewed Larry King twice. That says enough to me. But beyond that, she is absolute joy. It's so nice to see you, Jude. Would love to hear what question or thought you have. You always bring so much value. And I love seeing you. You're such a, a joy and bring a massive smile to my face. Over to you, Jude. You know what? Everybody who's listening to this, I have this crush on Billy, although I have a husband, (laughs) but he knows it. I always say when he's here, when he gets home from work, I say, oh, I'm listening, but I can't get off this podcast because it's Billy. So thank you for inviting me to come up and join you, Billy and Amy. And Amy, my husband's name is Stanton, so I already have a a kinship with you, it seems. And I really enjoyed listening to you. In fact, I just asked my assistant to order your book. I'm writing a new book, and it is for women. I had so many questions, that I, but the one I wanted to, I know your topic of this is crying is, is a superpower interview with Amy Stanton. And I was thinking, I tuned in. I don't know when you started. I was on a Zoom coaching call. But when you said about when you didn't get the raise you wanted in a, in a, in a, and you started to cry, I was thinking probably in retrospect with a few more experiences, you might have handled it differently. But I also think 
that the true self always shows up. And to me, that's the best. And see what you think. Just last night, I was on Clubhouse, Billy, and Damon Johns was there. And they were talking about parenting. And I don't have any children. But I had produced a documentary. Uh, we do life, these life documentaries for a gentleman who'd taken three companies public. And he, I, had, I taped his whole story, interviewed him. It was a beautiful piece. And then he passed away. And and when I, after the service, I was at the house with the family. And his teenage children came up to me one by one. And seeing my voice almost starts to break now, and it did last night because it's genuine sincerity. Uh, the children came up to me and said, well, they, they played the whole, the whole video at his, uh, the whole documentary at, at the service. But his children said, you know, our dad said things about us in your video that he never said about us in person or said to us in person. And that's always made my voice crack. And I guess I still can't tell the story, right? <laughs> because it mm. still does. So I think your genuine self shows up. And everybody has probably seen, and Billy, you have too, I'm sure, many times, all of us, the, the famous picture of Walter Cronkite. They play it every year of the anniversary of, of President Kennedy's anniversary of his death. And he takes his glasses off, and you can see the tears in his eyes. So I think when something is genuine, it, it's hard to negate that in any way. Yes, Jude. Thank you for sharing that story. And I completely agree with you. I think at the end of the day... It's all about, again, showing up authentically, whatever that looks like. And a lot of the conversation we're having is about how do we not walk away and feel bad that we teared up? Or how do we not walk away and feel like we could have handled that in a better way, but instead go, I see that actually the fact that I did tear up was powerful because it showed that I had a real connection to this human being. And and by the way, I'm not hearing in you that you have any guilt around it or shame. A lot of times people do, you know, and so that's like, it's really, I, I mean, I love that Billy not only talked about tearing up, but started getting a little emotional even during this conversation earlier. It's like, that just makes me love him even more. I know I'll never love him as much as you do, Jude. But, <laughs> That's okay. Um, I'll share. Maybe his wife will. I'm not sure, but, uh, but I'll share. <laughs> yeah, but but ultimately, I think it's a beautiful story and a beautiful reminder of the power of of showing yourself, which is not an easy thing to do. There are just so many ways that we're able to hide whether we even realize we're doing it or not. And that could be like holding back tears or that could be not saying something that we were feeling because we think the person can't handle it. And, you know, everything in moderation, obviously, but it is so important to kind of realize where you're holding back because like physically the kind of holding back is so unhealthy for us. Mm, it's a release, right? Yeah. It's like laughter and crying. These are like the two. And sometimes there could be both. You could cry because you're happy and you could laugh because you're sad because you're trying to, these are releases that the body has naturally for the same reason that there's laughing clubs, there's crying clubs. So <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm so into the fact that the Japanese men have their own crying clubs. I know it's amazing. The physical benefits. Super cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pop off so Billy can get to other people. And, but I do want to say that, you know, it was funny when you said people say, don't cry. I tell people cry. You know, when they when they're sad about something, people say, oh, don't cry, don't cry. I say cry because you're going to cry now or later. So if you're crying now, cry. Uh -huh. But I also want to ask you, Amy, do you live in Venice, California? I do. I live in Marina Del Rey. Amazing. So we're neighbors. We're neighbors. So maybe when we can meet in, in person again, uh, I'm going to 
DM you, and then when we can meet in person again, it would be great to have a coffee. In the meantime, I'm getting your book so I can read that, and so I'm looking oh, forward to it. You, thank you, Jude. I would love that. Thank you so much. Jude's a joy. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Billy. Jude. Always great to see you. Of course. Okay, take care. Appreciate you. Okay, take care. We're going to go to Annie real quick. We have a few minutes, so Annie, if you want to unmute and ask a very quick question, because Amy does have a heart out in four minutes. Go ahead, Annie. Okay, my name is Annie. Uh, I'm from Sweden. So, Amy, what you talked about earlier, I really feel you at every point. And my question is like, how do you get to be yourself in your workplace, being different from others? Because I work in a, a man-dominated workplace, and I feel that I am different from others. Uh, but I also feel that my way of being is also my way of being, so it can't be wrong in some kind of way. So my question is, how do you manage in a in a workplace where where you feel like you're different from others, but you're still in the right way? Mm, it's a great question, Annie. And by the way, I think we all feel like we're different from others because we are all different from others, but. I think there are certain work cultures that are challenging because they are programmed a certain way that may not feel aligned for us. And I've done a lot of corporate speaking around this topic in huge companies where they've been either quite male dominated or again, things have been done a certain way forever. And it's really hard to change corporate culture in a big company. But again, I think it's, it's all about these incremental shifts. So paying attention, looking at where there's some nuance, creating space for the people around you to show up as they are. Would they do the same for you? Are there things that you can do? I mean, again, nothing, this is not about extremes. This is not about me going into the office and crying every day. It's about knowing that if I did, it would be okay. It's about seeing it through that lens. And, uh, and you and I could have a separate powwow after this to talk about specifics because sometimes the specifics help. I mean, the question I would have for you is, do, can you give one example right now of a, a way in which you feel like you're different from the rest of the culture specifically? Annie, why don't you DM me and we can work through it via Instagram DM and I'll give you as much feedback as I can. But it's a really great question. And just so you know, Lots of people are feeling that same way and probably people that work in your company are feeling that same way. So even finding some alignment there so that you can start almost a movement would be, it all starts with you. And that's what we say about this whole feminine revolution. And now you're part of it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I want to thank you. Speaking of feminine revolution, please do exactly what Jude said, which is pick up the book. And it's amazing. And so many valuable things, not just for women, but for men. And I love that you called that out because as a, a male leader, I'm absolutely a student of what you're teaching. And I fully embrace and agree with the principles that you've outlined and really the way in which you think about it, which is not one takes away from the other, but they enhance each other. And that when we think about it in that way, they really, they support one another. And so I know for those who are interested to find more, um, you can go check out your company website, which is stanton-company.com. Uh, you're also on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Amy K. Stanton, Amy K. Stanton. Where else can they find you? Of course, here on Clubhouse as well. And I think they all know that, but it's at Amy K. Stanton. But where else, Amy, would be a good place? We also, my company website is stanton-company.com. But otherwise, yeah, Amy K. Stanton all around. 
Perfect. Well, Amy, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you for spending the time with us. I'm so glad we had this talk. And I, I love learning your story and, and reading your book. And I love being here with you on Clubhouse. And I would love to do this again some other time. And I think there's clearly there's a, a lot of people who would get value and, and would love to talk to you more and find out more about how they can find the, um, the way into which both their masculine and feminine energy can, can shine through in, in the glorious ways that they do. So Amy Stanton, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you, Billy. Loved every minute. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.